Hi, I'm Paul Nogloz, President and Executive Director of Crisoni on the Delta. Crisoni on the Delta is a Memphis-based nonprofit dedicated to fully exploring the vital link between food and health. Each year, for the last four years, we have convened in person world-leading researchers, innovators, investors, entrepreneurs, and growers dedicated to hashing out collaborative solutions to the world's most pressing challenges in food and health. everybody, I'm Jarvis Greer, Sports Director, WMC-TV in Memphis, and today our topic is, that we're going to discuss, is better nutrition from the growing field to the playing field. Sounds pretty heady, doesn't it? Well, we've got some heady folks that can talk about it and know everything there is to know. I'm so happy to be joined by Leslie Bonsi. She is the dietitian for the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, sir. And also Dr. Scott Stoll, who is co-founder and chairman of the Plantrition Project, because he was a member of the 1980 doctor for Lehigh University, and as well as the U.S. bobsled team and skeleton team. So these guys know what they're talking about in terms of athletics and food. Now, the only thing I know about food is I like to eat it. Okay, so I'm really interested in hearing what these guys have to say about, you know, putting good gas in the tank as opposed to bad gas in terms of athletes and then just just regular people who want to have a, a good diet. So everybody, whoever wants to jump in first, just, just talk a little bit about uh, the fact that so many people out there now are struggling, trying to figure out what do I eat? I want to try to, you know, be in some sort of decent shape and, and how is that going to help me both physically and mentally? Anybody have thoughts on that just to start out? Okay, I'll start. So okay. when we think about eating, I, and I'm never shy. It's like bars my dance. So we think about eating and truly food nourishes the body head to toe. I mean, that, that happens for all of us. But right now, we also need to add a couple of elements into the mix. Number one is that food supporting my immune system because we all need to control what we can with our eating plan. That's critical. Number two is that food available and accessible to me. And is it affordable? Because not everybody has unlimited salary cap. They need to eat within their means. And also, is that food good for me? What's in it for me? Is, it, is there some kind of give back that happens with food? So I think a good starting place for people is in your kitchen, what's the wealth on your shelf? What do you already have at home that maybe you start to create something there from what you have, as well as your eating habits? If you want to eat well and nourish your body, you need to think about the number of times you eat over the course of the day. Are you eating because you're hungry or because it's something to do? Are you eating so fast that the food is gone in 30 seconds or do you take your time to chew? Are you eating in front of the television or what else do you do? All of those things together, and that doesn't mean all of them, but you start with your weaknesses. What could you improve upon? Don't worry about the strength because you're already doing that and give yourself time. This is not a race to the finish line. Yeah, Dr. Stoll, what did you what do you think about that? It's like, um, you know, you were an athlete yourself and, and having been the, in the Olympics, not everybody can say they've done that. When you when you look at it, it's you weren't just eating just to, you know, I'm, I'm eating because I'm hungry. No, you, you had a purpose in mind. Yeah. And you know what's so interesting, Jarvis, is actually looking back on what I ate and why I ate when I was training. You know, I was very focused on macronutrients like protein and calories and eating enough to build muscle. But what I didn't really understand is the importance of eating food 
to optimize my recovery, to maximize my immune system, as Leslie was just saying. Um, and what I see today is a lot of athletes and individuals are eating for macronutrients, protein, fat, calories, and we have any you know, number of permutations and diets around those things. But when we begin also considering why we're eating, you know, that we're eating to optimize our cellular physiology and our health and our immune system, we begin to make some different choices. We begin to eat foods that really begin to um, transform our cells and help to help our cells to recover. And we see this in athletes that when they're eating the right foods, they can reduce that uh, delayed onset muscle soreness by at least 50% from 48 hours to, to 24 hours. They can improve their immune systems. And as Leslie knows too, and she can probably comment on this, there are lots of athletes that, you know, these, a lot of these professional athletes and, and Olympic athletes are specimens and they can get away with a lot of indiscretions in their diet, but it <laughs> always comes up somewhere. And the immune system is one of those places where I see a weakness in these athletes that they can eat unhealthy food and still look like, you know, an amazing uh, statue, but you know, coming up to an event, they may have an illness that really impacts their event. And they don't realize it was their food choices wow. that were weakening their immune system over time. Yeah. And let me add to that is kind of this idea of the healing plate, right? So, you know, what are the big three when we talk about a healing plate? Well, one is supporting a healthy immune system. Either you're doing that or you're doing things that detract from. Number two is decreasing inflammation. Some degree of inflammation comes along with physical activity, but it's when it takes over everything else. And then you have a deleterious impact on muscle protein synthesis and you have more breakdown. We don't want that. And then the third is if you do get injured, because sometimes that happens. And are you really thinking about rehabilitation nutrition? What needs to happen on the back end to help the body not just recover at that point in time, but then be proactive so that you decrease the risk of injury moving forward. So, you know, I always look at eating for active people. You're in two states. You're preparing for what you're going to do. You're repairing from what you just did. Those are the two doors. It's not either or. It's both of those things consistently all the time. You know, and a tough thing about that is like when you're talking about finely tuned athletes, I mean, they're like, you know, um, a Ferrari com compared to just the regular folks out here just, you know, on a little cruiser bike, you know, barely getting one foot over the other. But still, you can have, you can eat where, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can keep yourself healthy by not making bad choices. And then, you know, people are going to make bad choices now. How do you keep them from beating themselves up? if they do make a bad choice every now and then and fall off the wagon, say, and then try to get back on. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Jarvis. You know, uh, when we look at the statistics, you know, we eat about 2000 pounds of food in a year. You know, that's wow. the same amount of weight as like a Chevrolet Volt, a small car <laughs> bumper to bumper. So we're eating 2000 pounds of food in an entire year. And that's really the external environment passing through our bodies and delivering nutrition to ourselves. And so you know, bite by bite, we're impacting the health of our cells. But, you know, because of our whole dieting uh, society and all these, this dieting philosophy that has taken root, there's a, there's a real um, uh, sense of, of shame and guilt that comes with making bad choices. We've kind of moralized food, unfortunately. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, we know that when people start moving into that place of feeling guilty and shame by their choices, they're more likely to make bad choices. And so I always like to just tell people, it's always about the next bite. You know, whatever you ate, you ate, it's gone. Your body will deal with it. Just focus on the next bite and don't let yourself slip into that guilt and shame cycle that can be so devastating. Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, that that is 
so important because the food guilt and the shaming doesn't get anywhere, doesn't get people anywhere short of, oh, I'll eat another cheesecake because I really feel bad. But I also think that for a lot of people, the word nutrition, they don't like what that means. Oh, that means I'm going to have deprivation or it's going to be denial or it's just going to be healthy because people don't understand that word. So I really love to use the word performance, right? Because you can have performance on a lot of different platforms. I want to perform well in the boardroom. I want to perform well in the classroom. I want to perform well on the playing field. I want to perform well when I go and have my next blood test so my PCP doesn't yell at me because I didn't do what I needed to do. So, so many different ways that we can have that dialogue and make it a little bit more embracing and a little bit more personal so that people can come into it their own portal of entry of what they feel is important for them to address. You know, one thing I I, I know back when, like I played a little football myself in college here at Memphis and it's uh when I was coming up, I was a skinny kid, 175 pounds out of high school. And I said, no, nah, you got to put on some more weight. And they used to give us these protein shakes. And that's you just eat, eat. And I'd gorge myself at the training table. And then on the other end, you had the big lap, the big lineman who they put them at the fat man's table if they were overweight and said, no, nah, you go over there. You sit at the fat man table. And we're restricting what you eat. And everybody look over there and say, man, you know, it was, it was kind of a body shaming kind of way to get people to do what you need them to do in order that they can perform at their best. Truly food abuse is what it is. And uh, that doesn't hold water anymore. We don't want that to happen. There's certainly a big movement about having people think uh, more positively about their eating. But to your point too, I, our older son, when he played soccer and he was told by the coach, you need to put on 20 pounds in the summer. I said, you know what? His mother is a dietitian. That's not going to happen. <laughs> but you know, the problem with this is, is that when people force feed and then the body gets used to that new norm, what happens when you stop physical activity? Well, your appetite doesn't automatically change. And it's like, whoa, what is that? That's not necessarily healthy. So it is the quality and the composition of that food. And as Scott said, more than the macronutrients, it's the micros, it's the phytos, it's the hydros, it's all of those. It's when people eat and really thinking about the give back. What is that food giving back to me? Because people aren't going to play football for the rest of their lives. They're going to live longer. And are they going to live healthfully or not? That's the choice that we can make. I want to get back to you in just a second at, as far as football is concerned. Dr. Stahl, since you were a bobsled athlete, you eat totally differently. You're not trying to, you know, bulk up and be a big offensive lineman. You're, you're, you're trying to go for the lean speed and all that. And, you know, but now you look like you can still play. You got a pretty good secret, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's the balance. And like Leslie was saying, um, you know, we really all are all performing at some level. Um, we're all using our bodies and our brains to perform every single day in our work, in our home, in our relationships. And so I have just really tried to carry that forward with my lifestyle. And so I really just focus on eating delicious food. And I think that's really something I want to emphasize today, that healthy food does not have to taste bad. It actually should be delicious. Food's meant to be enjoyed. Food's meant to bring people together. And we should, uh, we should have delicious, healthy food. So I eat delicious, healthy food. Um, I eat as much as I want because I eat till I, I eat foods that are high in fiber and they just fill my stomach. And so I'm never worried about my calorie intake. I exercise, I get a good night's sleep and my body is healthy. Um, and so it's, it's a great blessing. And that's what I try to teach my patients as well, you know, to create a sustainable lifestyle. You know, it's not about a diet like Leslie had mentioned, where we're starvation, deprivation, all the, you know, negativity of, of a diet. We're creating a livable lifestyle that's balanced, that, that we can get up and enjoy a breakfast, a lunch and a dinner 
but we're eating it at the same kind of time in the right amounts and where exercise is included in our daily life. We're getting seven to eight hours of sleep. And in that way, we, we enhance the quality of our life and we perform in much better ways. Even uh, relationally, we're much better because we, we've reduced the neuroinflammation in our brains and everything begins to flow when we get that core foundation of lifestyle correct. Now, I want to talk to Leslie, like, okay, this is the old folks, you know, we got to watch what we eat. But the, the young folks, especially like parents out there who may have kids that are athletes, you know, and, and they're trying to, they're being pushed to do this and pushed to do that. And, you know, you, you may have, like we had, we, our kids were, were played at a high level in two different sports, both of them. So they would be changing in the car from basketball practice to soccer practice. They're going from one tournament this year, this week into another tournament, the next, always on the go, go, go. And, and how do you find a way, you know, you want them to eat healthy. What are some foods that, that they should be eating, you know, as a young athlete coming up? Well, you know, first of all, I think you've got to have the buy-in from your kid is get them involved in that early on to have them realize that their food and fluid is part of their equipment. That's your internal equipment to do what you need to do. It doesn't matter with the helmet and the stick and the this, that, and the other, you need to fuel your body. And we want to also, uh, if we think about that, then produce needs to be a part of the plate. And you know, when I use the word produce and I'm talking fruit and vegetable, there's a lot of choices out there. So if somebody doesn't want to eat asparagus, that leaves several other vegetables to pick from or a lot of different fruit. It's a portable food. You don't have to prep it. It is literally nature's fast food. Eat it and go. You know, I also think that it is critically important that we're, we're talking about formative years for bone health. So if somebody says, I want to do plant-based protein sources, absolutely they can, provided it's in the right quantities to help to do that. And if somebody wants to do animal-based protein sources too, it's really up to them how they make that happen, but getting the most from the food that we eat. And again, thinking about what's convenient, what is portable. And I use convenient just meaning it doesn't take a lot of prep time because when somebody's on the go, they don't want to do those types of things. And if we get kids to be involved in the process, my kids can make their own energy bites. It's not that difficult to do this. We do cooking demos with athletes all the time because then you take ownership of it. Then you become interested in it. Then you're more likely to follow through with it. It's just like going to practice or into the gym to lift. Okay, here's my other activity. It's the hand to mouth one. That is how we foster that interest. Things like smoothies, things like soups, things like a dip made with beans and salsa. That's delicious. That's easy. It's nutritious. So yes, it brings the, the delicious first and the health on the back end. And that's okay. We lead with flavor and we lead with fun. And that's how we get it done. Yeah, about all we did was the orange slices and the juice boxes and the occasional subway. So, I mean, that, that's, that's what they came up. Yeah, I mean, and that's, and because that, that we have, now we have an, a lot of other options and we have parents that are getting creative in the kitchen and, you know, taking ownership of, okay, I'm going to bring something right now, however, individually packaged because we've got to be safe with COVID and minimize the touch point. So we do need to think about that. But I think the role of parents as well is to be the nutrition coach at home. You know, that's it is hopefully parents aren't coaching on the field unless they really are the coach is they have other job to do the clean team hygiene and the food coach. That is what the parents should be taking ownership of. <laughs> that, that sounds good. That's about right. Uh, Dr. Stowe, let's see. Uh, talk a little bit about this the diet phenomenon. You know, I've, I've read and I've got a question here about, you know, Americans spend roughly what a trillion dollars on a year on food and twice that much on diet supplements and disease and, and things like that. It include type two diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular problems and all that. And 
how did we get here from, you know, you would think people will be a little bit more enlightened now since there are so many more food cho choices and whole foods here and things like that. Uh, but some of these foods are like really, really expensive, or at least that's the perception. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. And uh, it's, it's, you know, the answer is long, but I'll just try to, to shorten it. You know, we really got here out of the Industrial Revolution for so long, for most of human history, people ate locally, they ate what was available, they ate in season, and they ate, you know, natural whole foods. Uh, with the advent of the Industrial Revolution, especially late 1800s, we started laying down railroad tracks across the country with refrigerated train cars. We started canning foods and packaging foods and creating supermarkets with, you know, foods that have been preserved, canned and packaged. And, and we began shifting to this industrialized diet, which seemed so sexy because it was, it was new. It was based on, you know, scientific advancements. And our diet just began to evolve because of the affordability and the accessibility of these foods, which were now on every corner in every neighborhood. Um, out of this as well, you know, through subsidies and farming, we began to get, um, you know, cheap, unhealthy processed foods. And mm -hmm. so because of the cost of food, um, it began, you know, we began to line our shelves with these really cheap, hyper palatable foods that tantalized our brains because there was so much sugar, fat and salt in there. And so we all just evolved as the food system evolved. And, you know, nobody really put the brakes on because it seemed like everything was going OK until one day we woke up and we realized that, you know, 75 percent of the cost of healthcare is related to lifestyle diseases that are really, you know, coming predominantly from our diet. Two trillion dollars a year in healthcare expenses because of diet. One point seven trillion dollars a year on food. So, you know, we have a real conundrum in our system because we have a. Um, a food system and people that have been trained to look for cheap, hyper palatable foods that require very little uh, time for preparation. We've lost our ability to cook foods and we've created food deserts. And so we have a lot of challenges that we're now facing, um, including the challenges on the backside of our farming system, which is not designed to actually grow enough produce, fruits and vegetables to meet the need of, of even people eating five per day. So there are lots of there's lots of work, more work um, in our lifetime for Leslie and I to, to solve this problem. But the good news is there's lots of people thinking about this and there's a lot of evolution. Even the last five years, where we're seeing a transformation of the food system that I believe is going to accelerate in the next decade. Mm -hmm. What? So is, is there anything that I mean, I, I don't know how political we can get in this form, but. As far as, you know, you were talking about food deserts. I mean, they're, here in Memphis, unfortunately, we have plenty. We're basically a, 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 a lot of places in this city that where they are not, you know, like you got the full supermarket, you got the butcher, and you got all these, ooh, look at these fresh vegetables and apples and, and all that. And uh, so people really, you know, don't have a way to get to a, a place where they can do that. What, what can be done to try to either help farmers, you know, grow more of this and, and make it more accessible to places where, you know, it's just tough to get. Yeah, there's some great innovative solutions. I'll just jump in first, then I'll hand it off to Leslie. There's some great solutions. Of, you know, people are looking at this problem and trying to solve it by creating hyper-local growing environments. And I really think that's part of the, of the future. Rather than trying to create this large solution, you know, empower local people, local farmers, local individuals that want to grow and sell to their neighbor, empower them to begin growing food and selling it locally. Um, that's the greatest safety net that we can create. 
there are also a number of not-for-profit organizations that are partnering with local growers to bring in healthy food to these food deserts and sell it to people at a reasonable price and begin teaching them about the foods and how to even prepare these foods. Mm -hmm. And there are other not-for-profits, including one that my wife and I started, where we're bringing in uh, healthy organic produce into inner cities and setting up farmer's markets to help distribute the food and begin educating people about these foods and, and helping them begin to make a shift by just gaining awareness and access to the food. Because the research shows that for a lot of these people in um, food deserts and even in developed, uh, underdeveloped countries, they're spending uh, twice as much on, of their uh, income on healthy food uh, compared to wealthier countries or um, more uh, suburb areas. And I, and I think yeah. to go along with that, the idea of opportunities in the community. So community gardens is, you know, letting people be part of this is to plant the garden, to uh, nourish and nurture that garden and to consume the produce that you grow as part of it. That is something that can be an intergenerational activity. Grandparents can be involved with that. Parents, guardians can be involved with that. Kids can be involved with that as well. And it's also physical activity because it is all part of it too is you know, when you're weeding and you're tilling and you're doing all these, you're actually expending calories and taking, taking ownership of that and appreciation of it. The other thing I think is critically important because we have a lot of people that are food insecure and needing the knowledge of what do I do if I receive produce? What do I do with it? I love the idea of a chop-up shop. We don't need pop-up shops anymore. We need chop-up shops and getting chefs in the community to be part of that and chopping up those vegetables, showing people what to do, giving them the knowledge that they need. That is empowerment and that is enablement. And really, we all need to be doing more of it. So yay, Scott. Yes, this is exactly what needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent thing. Uh, Scott, you and your wife, you get, you, get the, you get the tip of the cap there. And uh, so uh, let's hit something real fun here. You know, you talk about burning calories and stuff. And Leslie, what you do now, I mean, you're, you're talking, you deal with people who burn, you know, thousands and thousands of calories in, in one afternoon at practice or in a game. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, you had your big offensive line and then you got your, you know, your defensive backs and wide receivers and what you as a dietitian, you got to figure out how to make it work for, you know, it's not one size fits all at all. Is Definitely it? not. And, you know, the reality is that in practice, everybody's on the field on Sunday not so much, right? You don't have 53 guys on the field on game day. It doesn't work that way. So we're all about individualization and personalization. And that is above and beyond food preferences. That might be pre-existing illnesses or food sensitivities or allergies or whatever else it is that people need to deal with. So customization has really really risen to the forefront. And and then if we add in physique goals, so the, the player that needs to increase muscle mass or the player that's trying to decrease body fat or the one that's multitasking, wanting to do both of those things together. And because of, of COVID, we've had to shift this all away. There's no more training table. Now, this is gone. It's you go in, you get your packaged meal because that's safer and there's no touch points and then you go up. So if somebody wants a particular smoothie, they can't make it themselves anymore. This is the way that it is but it's being made for them. And I work mm -hmm. extremely closely with our food service staff and with the players, you know, because as Scott said earlier, if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to eat it. You're not going to do it for any extended period of time. And you really want that value added. I like it. And I know that I feel better as a result of, and then hopefully that is something that a player takes home to his family. And then everybody benefits from that information. Any story you could tell about a, a specific player. You don't have to mention a name who said, 
you know, I, you know, I don't want to eat that. No, I mean, I'm, I'm used to, this is the way I've done it ever since. And by the time they're professional, they're pretty much set in their ways. And you, I'm sure you've had to come in and change uh, a few. Well, you know, sometimes you just want to smack people. No, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's, um, without mentioning names, you know, it's just interesting. Sometimes the, the perception or the misinformation, I had a player last year who uh, came up when we still could have a uh, training table uh, and he wanted to eat something that oh, I'd like to have some trail mix. I said, well, you know, we can make this for you and it's fine. Said, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And I said, and here's one of the ones we have. And he said, yes, but there is chocolate in there and I, I, can't, I can't eat chocolate. Said, All right. He said, but do you have anything with M&Ms? It's like, well, what? the last time that I looked, I thought M&Ms were chocolate, but I could do very, very well. Um, I've had players who have had um, testing done which I would, to indicate that they might be allergic to rice. These are players from the Dominican Republic. They're not allergic to rice. They've been eating rice and beans all of their life. At the mm-hmm. age of 30, you don't automatically have that happen. So in some cases, it's correcting that is bringing, asking the question, do you like it? Have you felt good eating it? But if that's the only thing you're eating, what could we do better? So really looking at the bigger picture of everything that they're eating, when it is they have it, and the buy-in. I also have a lot of players who have digestive distress, and you never talk about that with your coaches. Like, But I can hear I'm the repository for everything related to everybody's bowel health. But you know what? If you make a recommendation and somebody feels better as a result, bravo, right? Then, then their gut is good, and they're good to go. Literally. You got any last words about your vision for food in the future and how we as consumers can try to make better choices? Scott, go ahead. You first. Yeah. Yeah. So just briefly, you know, one word that I have is hope. I have so much hope in the last three, three years that I see things changing, moving in the right direction. I see an awakening of people recognizing that the way we grow food matters and the types of food that we eat really matter. And I see that people are moving to understand the power of their plate to transform not only their health, but the environment and the neighborhoods and the people around them. And so I really have come to believe in a a hope-filled vision for the power of the plate to bring transformative um, change to our world. And so that's what I'm working for. And that's what I I try to do every day. And uh, just as we close, I just want to thank you, Jarvis and and, uh, Paul and Chrisonia for being a part of this. Leslie? Yes, and I would just add to that the idea of inclusivity and diversity. There is a place at the table for everybody to be there. Everybody deserves to be fed. And really getting people to be foodies, not feudies. That is the vision that I would like to have happen. Food for all, minimizing the waste, and enjoy what it is you eat. Everybody, thank you so much for allowing us to be part of this. This has been awesome. Oh, this is fantastic. Slim in the waist, pretty in the face, right? I'm sure that's what you would say. (laughs) Guys, we really thank you both for joining us here. And I want to thank Cruzoni on the Delta for having us. And everybody have a great afternoon. We'll see you later. We hope you enjoyed this afternoon's Food is Health Forum. More importantly, we hope you learned something. And we hope you made valuable connections that can help you with collaborative solutions going forward. Help us keep the conversation going by registering for our bi-weekly Crisonia Conversations and joining our Slack channel. Both can be found at crisonia.org. With that, I'd like to thank our sponsors and partners for making this afternoon possible. We will return to Memphis. In the meantime, please remember, food is health.